This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. Well, today's show is going to be just a little bit different because we've got someone who has a background in research. Roxy Strominger is a delightful and fascinating guest on today's show. We're going to talk about uh, what it's like to take over a program, a CX discipline, and what do you do with that once you get there? What are the very first steps you should be doubling down on? And then she talks about something she calls the daisy chain strategy of gaining stakeholder support, just so critical for CX leaders. And then how do you avoid being labeled or relegated to market researcher? Nothing against market researchers, but she walks us through how you go about doing that and a whole bunch more on this episode, which I know you'll enjoy. Let's dive right in. Well, I am so excited to have my guest, Roxy Strominger who is the Vice President of Customer Experience Strategy for UKG, a provider of human resources, payroll, a workforce management solutions company with more than 14,000 employees. Roxy came to UKG from Forrester, which is a research company that anyone who's been in the CX world for any amount of time is very familiar with, one of the leaders. And she came over in 2018. There she had led a customer experience practice centered around the CX index, uh, which is something she co-created at Forrester. And it helps organizations diagnose their CX quality and identify how to improve their outcomes. This visibility into what drove others' program success helped Roxy bring in new practices that matured UKG's program. She is very focused in using data to diagnose the most efficient and effective way to target resources to improve the customer experience in ways that maximize business impact. She was recognized at the CXPA's CX Impact Award in 2020 and now sits on the CXPA Board of Directors, uh, which I'm alongside with you. (laughs) I'm honored to be a uh, work alongside with you on. And she is also a finalist for the CX Leader of the Year in 2020. So uh, Roxy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to, to the conversation. So excited. Um, and, and first, since you mentioned the board, tell me about, um, I want to ask about how you got, let me, let me, let's start with how you got into the CX world from, and you had background, I didn't know if I mentioned, but you spent all, your undergraduate degree, your graduate degree in psychology. So, yeah. So um, I've always been intrigued regarding how people think, why they behave the way that they behave um, and so forth. So uh, interestingly enough, I went into uh, undergrad thinking I was going to be a virologist. So I was very into like biology and all of that. Then took my first intro into psych and then started to really go, this is something and not the 
psychologist route um, or the psychiatrist route, it was more of the research side. Like, let me try to understand why we behave the way we do. And so went that route uh, for my undergrad and then was very lucky to get into grad school. And the focus was there on behavioral sciences, heuristics, decision-making, the role of emotion, like all of the stuff that I am so focused on now was sort of born out through that, that education. And then um, did some consulting for a while and then landed myself into Forrester. And that was about almost 13 years and just did a lot of work in helping companies be smarter about how they engage with customers but it wasn't always with CX. It was in different ways of how do we, at the time, this was when Forrester came out with the Groundswell book. And it was like, well, how do you use technology to engage with customers, social media? That was when every all of that sort of was really boring out. Mm. And then it just kept, I kept creating different data frameworks for Forrester and how we supported uh, companies and then had the wonderful opportunity to uh, collaborate with Megan Burns. Mm-hmm. And that was when we co-created the CX index and then had the great opportunity to basically build a product around that and a whole line of business and a team. And then that just continued going, working in partnership with Harley Manning and other great people like Rick Parrish um, and others. And then that was when UKG came calling and said, do you want to do this for one person? one company mm. and sort of flush that out. So it's been a meandering evolution, but always with the bedrock of the end of the day, how do we understand a customer's perception of something mm. and how does that influence their behavior and how do we lean into that in a meaningful way? And so that's sort of been the sort of the ethos for everything that I've been doing uh, throughout my career. Mm. And and your roots go deep into research, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a researcher. I'm a researcher at heart, through and through. Um, I just, for me, I just I'm extremely inquisitive. Like you can say a comment about something or a fact, and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Let me research that. And it's completely outside of the bounds of like work life. It could just be like a really interesting fun fact, and I'm like, oh. Let me learn more about that. So I love me a really good trivial pursuit game um, on uh-huh. that front. But uh, but yeah, I'm just just constantly wanting to learn. That's okay. Fun. You're you're going to be on my team. I will not play against <laughs> you in trivial pursuit. Um, the learner. So that's one of the you know the strength finders. Learners. One of the 34 strengths they have. I bet that's high yeah. up on yours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's just it's it's interesting. It's interesting uh, to watch how people think, watch how people grow. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, right, we're all interacting with each other in this in this community. And um, and that we should all try to figure out how to help each other be better and mm-hmm. evolve. And I think that's where like in everything, personal work, whatever it may be, society. Um, I think that's, that's a really interesting challenge and opportunity. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for me, the field that we're in, uh, for me, it's, you know, we don't realize it oftentimes, but when people have a good experience or a bad experiences, it can change the trajectory of their day. Yep. So it really is. If you think about starting your day, you don't realize how many times you're calling, whether it's a for-profit or a nonprofit, whether it's going to the coffee shop or 
um, it, it could be um, a government agency of any kind, um, using your phone, calling a customer. You, you interact many times a day yeah. and, and it could either make or, or not make your day, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like the, what I, one of the things I always sit there and I always like try to understand is, okay, so what is a situational attribution and what's a dispositional attribution? And sort of sit there and go, okay, what are the environmental stressors? What's going on that is contributing to, so it's a lot of like problem solving in the moment, in every moment to sort of sit there and go, okay, this is what's going on. This is why customer perceived it or your friend perceived it, family member perceived something that happened. Okay, so how do we work through that? So it's, it's, it's just really interesting because, you know, we're irrational actors at the end of the day. Like we all, we've, you know, Kahneman and Tversky with all of the great research that, that they've done um, talking about that. And so it's like, okay, so how can we sit back and appreciate those interactions, whether it's with human to human, us with, you know, a company and things along those lines. It's like, okay, so how can we get to a point where it's a mutually beneficial interaction, relationship, partnership, whatever, whatever it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell, tell us about um, UKG and what it, what it does. So we are a, um, so we're the, one of the largest um, private software companies in the world. Um, really proud of it. We're in B2B SaaS. We basically supply the technology to help companies run their payroll, their HR, their benefits, um, workforce, so time and attendance um, elements into that mix. Uh, we serve over 70,000 customers globally. Um, wow. We keep growing in terms of the number of U-crewers, so that's what we call ourselves, um, into the mix uh, there. It's, it's really, at the end of the day, our purpose is people. So obviously, given my background resonated very nicely um, when I shifted from Forrester to, to UKG. And it's really about, I always sort of sit there and say, we need to make our customers confident and successful in how they use our solution. Because at the end of the day, they are empowering their employees to live their best selves and live their best lives whether it's through the benefits that the company provides and we are the technology vehicle to make that happen, to realize the, the benefits that somebody has at a company, payroll, so that you can then be paid, pay your mortgage, pay for the, the joys of life um, into the mix. So I'm really excited that we're a company that is sitting there and saying, not only do we have this technology solution, but we're helping to make your life work environment better as a result. Um, onto that piece. So it's a really great mission. Yeah. Yeah. And wh where I worked at, at the bank I worked for, uh, UKG was our provider for, you know, all of our time and all of our benefits. <laughs> and to your point, um, you know, it's not just UKG providing a great service. It's a reflection of your employer when you, you become aware of yeah. all of the benefits that you have that you may or may not have been aware of and then just making it easier to do your job and, and understand, you know, for example, putting in your hours or if you're a manager approving other people's like, why does it have to take, you know, an hour and a half to get this done? And UKG really simplified that process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's always, and we've heard this, right. The frictionless experience mm -hmm. and, and so forth. And yes, it needs to be frictionless, but it also, 
it needs to be intuitive. It needs to have a, a purpose of, you know, how do we make this work in the, the evolution of an employee from when they um, apply for the job through that whole cycle? to when you go through performance reviews, like how does that all get tethered together in a central way that you can sort of sit there and say, my company has my back and they are making it as easy as possible to ensure that I reap all of the benefits that are available or afforded to me. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's great. It's really nice to, to be a part of a company like this. And, and this day and age with uh, employees, you know, walking out the great <laughs> resignation, it's important to, this is not about necessarily, you know, expending more money as an employer. This is about communicating what you've already committed to. And it's, yes. And it's anticipating your employees' needs, right? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of sitting there and saying, okay, we're seeing that an employee is doing um, this behavior and this behavior. And it's not a monitoring element. It's more sitting there and going, Maybe we need to lean in and, and, and if they're taking this training and this training and understanding that and saying, okay, they're wanting to um, seek opportunities for a promotion. So what else can we provide within the solution to be able to empower that and make sure that they are exposed to all of the training that's needed? So it's, it's from a purposeful approach to sort of sitting there and saying, that's what you're leaning in on. Let's help you with that. If it's um, benefits and you have and you're looking through all of these FAQs, okay, so maybe we need to provide a one-on-one conversation and talk through how to leverage that benefit. So it's it's and our solution being the vehicle by which that's being communicated in a in an effortless way. And and what you're discussing and what you're describing here, um, it, you're making it sound fairly simple, but uh, my guess is behind <laughs> the scenes, behind the scenes, there's a lot of different places you need to orchest- yeah. orchestrate people, things, data, yeah. you need to pull together. And so tell me about like when you first got there and it was only yeah. a few years ago, right? That you were. Yeah, for, you could, uh, yeah about four and a half years now. Yeah. What Four and a half years. So what did you you know, kind of say, okay, this is the first real problem I need to go after. So I think, um, so when I joined and, and for context at the time, I, um, in 2018, it was ultimate software. Uh, we merged with Kronos right at the beginning of, um, April, 2020. Um, so that, that was a fun process to, to (laughs) do a merger in a pandemic. Um, I feel that that's a Harvard business case, uh, in the making. Um, but at the time when when I joined, a lot of it was sort of sitting there and saying, what do we need to focus on and double down? So the the from a service experience, it was very much we are partner for life. That was the the mantra that we had. So what does that actually look like? And how do we, like, there was goodness already cultivated, but now how do we really expand on that? And what are the things we need to double down um, into that context? So it was very much like going in, did a long listening tour, was probably about two months worth of talking with everybody um, up and down the org across all the different business units, really sort of figuring out, okay, so where are the friction points? Where are those moments of truth? Understanding even the stakeholders I would be working with. So this is a lot of where um, 
So I mentioned this a lot to be that indispensable advisor. Um, I sort of say it's a mix of a, a, of a couple of different attributes. It's sort of a being a psychologist in a bit, mm-hmm. uh, being a marketer, mm-hmm. being a data scientist and being a consultant and sort of like aggregating those different attributes together and sort of sitting there and saying, okay, so this stakeholder, this is what matters to them. This is how they process information because some of them will be very data centric. Like their language is data. So Mm -hmm. if you speak to them about numbers and so forth, they love it. Mm -hmm. Some need to be communicated through a manner of personal relationships and dynamic, right? Just having these sort of uh, coffee style type conversations to build that. Some speak through the language of process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Talk to me about execution. What is that? And you're all answering the same question. Mm -hmm. You're just putting a different frame of reference on it that resonates with them. So it was a lot of sort of figuring that out and then sitting there and saying, okay, so this is the double down. And so that was what um, I really focused on in the first year was, okay, so where are, where are the double downs? This is what we're going to focus on. Um, We did some immediate sort of co-creation style journey mapping work um, and really sort of identified uh, key areas where we needed to tighten things up a bit and really resonate with customers. Also flushed out the VOC program that, that we established a team. Um, so all of that. So in the last four years, it's been a really interesting and really fun evolution um, on a variety of different fronts. I mean, we went from a team of one to a team of we're now 12 people. Wow. Um, into the mix in just four years, we've uh, engineered a really uh, meaningful, we call it you speak is the branded uh, term uh, for our VOC program, have done that one time, did that again when we merged. So because we wanted to do a unification exercise. So it's it's been a fun journey, to say the least. So I'm going to pull up about 30,000 feet and just reflect back on what you said. And if I'm a CEO uh, of, of an insurance company, of a wealth management, of a bank, uh, and I'm listening to you and I don't already have a team in place, maybe I even do, what, what I heard you say was all of the things, all the tools, all the, the arrows in the quiver that a CX professional needs to have. And if you don't have that, you know, and if you don't have someone in place, what 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 would you describe sort of that gap? Like, describe for me how, how, what it does for you to have someone without having someone there, and then having someone there. It so from what my conversations with that my stakeholders have said is, we've sped up the execution of delivering a good experience hmm. because. The, the majority of them are going to be focused on operation and execution okay. onto that piece. Okay. And a lot of it is that there's not enough time to sit and think and to understand what matters most from a customer perspective, because from their, their perspective, and it's understandably so, it's about efficiency, cost to serve. Yeah. They have to deal with margins and, and all of that. And so we come in in that consultative manner and sit there and say, given that North Star for you, a business North Star, I need to make sure my margins are good. I need to reduce cost to serve, but not at 
at the expense of a customer. So they'll all lean into that. But the what does it look like from the customer perspective? More times than not, there they don't have enough time to really sit and think about that. Mm-hmm. So that was where I came in and said, okay, so that's my role. That's my team's role. Mm-hmm. We're going to think on your behalf and in a manner that is mutually beneficial for the customer and for you where the experience can resonate even better. And that's sort of, once you position in that way and then position it in either a data-centric way, process-centric way, relationship, or even this, let me tell you something you don't know, which is this cool, inquisitive way, like figuring out what resonates with them. They go, oh, okay. And then you tie. So it becomes like a like a daisy chain type of thing. So it's, you first figure out what matters most to them. You first, and then you figure out what's the language they like to speak in. Then you figure out, okay, so how do you address the customer friction point, the moment of truth, figure out that piece. Then you bring it back to the language that they speak in. And then the final piece of the daisy chain is, okay, so what does that mean to you in numbers? Meaning revenue. Uh, money saved, whatever that is, um, into that mix that you could do more with the existing headcount and not from a exhaust the headcount where they're working more hours within the confines of a good working relationship with with uh, employees into that mix. And that's that's where the fusion happens, and that's where it really resonates. But it's a constant analysis problem solving, because I will tell you this, what matters most one year with a stakeholder can completely pivot into year two. They might start to lean in and other things that matter to them that they didn't and speak a different language because, you know, human beings evolve. So it's like, you're just constantly trying to understand your stakeholder. Um, so that's where the fun part is. And maybe that's because of my psychology background and training and decision sciences. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is this is fun to sort of have that type of constant diagnosis going on. Yeah. Well, and you you said so much right there. I need to unpack some of it because um, <laughs> you're so full of wisdom. But I, I feel like I imag- I'm imagining a, printing the T-shirt, yeah. um, which is the five-step model, which ends with fusion. And I, <laughs> I just want to repeat it because it yeah. was it was so um, enlightening. What matters most to each person, each stakeholder you're talking to, speak in their language, um, then identify where that customer friction exists, yep. and then go back to them and figure out, um, in, you know, in their language, what what how we can translate that into numbers. Yep. And that all equals fusion. I love <laughs> there you that. There's, I there's, love the, that. there's the recipe. <laughs> I love that recipe. Um, I want to. I want to go back to what I asked you earlier, which is what in the world? What in the world would happen if you didn't have a you? You uh, yeah. meaning you, not you as in UKG. You and um, I can't help but think of you know the role as a analogy that Gene Bliss always said is human duct tape um, is what we are. But what would happen, you know, then what happens in organizations that don't have someone like you or in a department like yours? 
So what I saw during my time, you know, at Forcer consulting then for multitude of companies is you start to see the quote unquote CX team be relegated more to a cost center mm. um, and thought of as just, oh, that's a survey team. So then they become mm. just the execution arm for the stakeholder to just get a data point. Mm-hmm. And then it stops there. Mm. Um, and that's the thing is, I mean, you know, we've heard all of, you know, we've we've read all of the reports. I remember Harley wrote the report. It was actually right before the, the pandemic hit. Remember, it was sort of a one in four CX professionals will lose their, their job. Um, and obviously, this was before the pandemic hit. And there was a lot of different dynamics at play there. But because we haven't entrenched ourselves to be a must-have versus the nice-to-have in that piece. And so that was a really big thing for me. When I shifted into you know, Ultimate and now UKG, I wanted to immediately be the must-have and I wanted to be something that they've never seen before. And so that was also part of the listening tour was figuring out historically what they've been exposed to, what they were aware of, so a lot of it became a um, instructor, like an education. Like, let me let me walk you through. So how do we define CS? What does that mean? What does that look like? And so this got into, so my comment about being the marketer, it's like, then I was like, okay, so let me brand this. And I was like, okay, so let me tell you the three-part CX story that I can tell you about your customer. And I was like, this is the first part of the story. Here's the second, here's the third. And it really came down to, let me start high level at like OSAT. Then let me drive into quality dimensions. Then we talk about drivers and specific elements of the behavior. And oh, and then let me tether it to your recipe for success. So we actually brand it is, is that and say, here's what I you need to focus on. This is why it matters to you. And this is what you'll see as a result. And then we're going to be a part of it. And this is what a playbook looks like for how your organization can evolve. Um, And it's when you do that beyond a, here's your data point, or here's your dashboard or, or things along those lines, you then start to get the phone calls, which been very fortunate to have cultivated and the team to have cultivated is okay. So can you attend this QBR and, and walk through everything and help my leaders know what the next steps are. Can you sit at the executive meeting with the C-suite and give us an understanding of what's going on, why it's happening and so forth. And it's, that's, that's when uh, you really entrench quite nicely. And that was a big thing for me. Like I, and maybe this is a, to be frank, a sort of a personal chip uh, on my shoulder Mm -hmm. is I don't want to be known as a market researcher. Hmm. And it's not to um, sit there and say market researchers are not like it's a profession to not focus on. But when you're talking about CX, like market research is a tool that a CX professional uses. And that was the thing is I didn't want the organization to think like, oh, you just do research. So you capture the information and just give it back to me. I want to be a I want to be right here on the side next to you, counseling you in the best interest of the customer with a mindset that I know you need to protect margins, um, revenue, and all of that. And I'm going to make sure that that happens, but again, not at the expense of the customer. So let me be that side consultant um, into the mix. And that was a 
very purposeful approach to what I did and what the team did at, at UKG. Mm-hmm. Very insightful. And it's, it's makes sense to me why you've started off on such a good track there. Um, so one of the things that, that's coming to mind for me that, um, that I'd love to ask you about is ROI. I think mm. you, you kind of brought it up and it, it's, it's the Holy grail, um, yeah. of, of, for a CX practitioner. And I just got asked the question. I was on the phone with someone from, from Ireland this morning, who's a CX practitioner, um, asking me about, you know, how do we approach ROI, and how do I make the case? Um, really struggling. I don't really like the idea of using net promoter scores. So for those who are not familiar with using ROI for NPS, there's a number of ways to do it. But essentially, you, you might say that one way to do it is to look at maybe your detractors and say that that um, segment of your customers is at risk. And that re- represents X number of dollars. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's one way. And that's sort of a, okay, that, that, that some people can grab onto that and say that's enough, but, um, but that, that wasn't going to work at, at, at her organization. But I wanted to ask you, you know, how do you think about it? What would you tell other CX practitioners, perhaps mm-hmm. or even, even business owners and leaders, um, you know, how a CX leader can help, uh, justify what they're doing, their work by ROI. So I think one of the things that you have to be able to answer pretty quickly is in your industry and anybody, because each industry is going to be different, Mm -hmm. how much direct impact does CX have to various KPIs, uh, whether it's revenue, cost to serve, and so forth. One of the things that in certain industries, there is a direct one-to-one correlation between the um, better uh, quality of experience, cut more and more customers, buy more, right? So that will typically be the, the stereotypical linear relationship. It's lockstep. As CX gets better, revenue, people keep buying more and more. But a lot of times CX is not a direct corollary. And you have a, this happened and we changed this behavior. It's a lot more ancillary in terms of of impact. So you have to sit there and one, understand, am I in an industry where my customers are trapped? Meaning they're under contracts. Sure. And so it's renewal cycles. So for us, you know, our customers are signed on for two to three year cycles before you go through renewal uh, period. Um, If we think about the old days of wireless service providers, Mm-hmm. That was a scenario, right? That you would sit there and be like, well, I'm with X provider for two years. No matter what the experience is, I can't leave. So then when you, and then there's other industries where customers aren't trapped. So when you understand that nuance, then you start to piece, you know, sort of flush this out. So say they're trapped. So then the relationship between CX and revenue might not be as strong, but CX to cost to serve is. Hmm. So then if you sit there and say, well, if I build a better experience, the employees don't have to do as much of A, B, and C anymore. Mm -hmm. So now the cost of them serving the customer goes down. So you might not sit there and say, here's the direct relationship to uh, ARR, analyzed recurring revenue, or whatever the, the, the revenue metric is, but you can sit there and say, we delivered a better experience, but actually did it more efficiently and with less cost, which helped our margin. So there's that link. So 
And that's just one example. So that's the big thing for a CX professional is to sort of sit there and say, am I in an industry where customers are trapped or not? Mm. They're not trapped. Is there a a direct relationship one-to-one of as one point CX increase, does it equate to revenue change? Um, And then sit there if it's trapped, are there other KPIs that matter to the business? The most common is going to be cost of serve is one to sort of latch on to. Once you sort of figure that out, it's a lot to like sort of digest that and so forth. The biggest thing is, is I don't recommend trying to determine ROI off of a high level metric, Mm. like an OSAT or an MPS or whatever. I'm I'm metric agnostic in terms of whatever anybody uses. And if it works for you, run with that. Right. Where you see more power is when you focus on behavior change, like a driver, and link that to... So it's not about... Because think of it this way for OSAT. And again, it's any of these high levels. There are so many sub-factors that contribute to OSAT that for you to sit there and say, well, when we moved OSAT by one percentage point, you can completely line it to a CX change because it could have been something happened in the product, something happened in the service. You know, it's very hard. And that's where I think CX professionals sometimes get stuck is that they're focusing on attributing the overall to a revenue metric when instead if you do a a behavior. Hmm. Say, for example, I, uh, we doubled down on making our employees clearly communicate why an issue happened and why they didn't happen. And there is a metric to try to track that and so forth. And we sat there and said, we are going to improve that by five percentage points. That is an easier tie because if a customer says, yes, they clearly communicated, then we latch on operational drivers. Well, how long did the call last? What did they talk about? What are the materials? You start to sort of see, okay, how you can chip away at the cost of service much easier the end of the day, all of that good work will impact OSAT. But what you're focused on is here is the behavior change. This is what it equated to in a dollar amount. And then this is why CX matters. So I like to bring the ROI link way down the funnel, mm-hmm. then keep it at the high level because there's too much to impact MPS, OSAT, and those higher level metrics than a was the employee knowledgeable? Was did the employee clearly communicate? Did they show empathy? Those types of things. It's much easier to show the relationship. And then whether it's cost of serve or whether it's revenue, whether it's retention revenue, enrichment revenue, advocacy revenue, and all of that type of stuff. Yeah, those are just such great gems. Uh, really easy. Well, it's almost easier in some ways to pull a high-level metric and use that, but it's also less, less potent. Um, then if you take something that is lockstep, you know, more of a direct correlation in the behaviors to the outcome. So um, also wanted to get your thoughts on an idea I had when you shared, because the the call I had this morning was in a a business that was a subscription-based SaaS company, but there are other, uh, like I was in banking and I know you you probably served banks when you were at Forrester. Um, So the the retail clients, maybe not so much, but commercial banking clients are pretty uh, locked in. They don't have a subscription, but they have high switching costs, right? They have cash you know, management, you know. treasury management. So that could be true for a lot of other businesses. Yeah. And what 
what part of my answer to her was I, I went the same direction you went with the cost. You know, you're either going to grow revenues or you're going to reduce cost, um, which is means you're you're going to either acquire new customers or you're going to keep your existing ones. In the case of a subscription business or even a, a business where you've got customers with high switching costs, is there is share of wallet to be gained usually. Usually it's not one and done. Usually there's some add-ons that companies yeah. offer. And I'm sure that's true. Is that true for you, KG? Yeah. Yeah. So you would, um, one way to think about it is, is usually the relationship of CX to any dollar amount, usually revenue or even cost of service. So you have the, as I said, that linear, the lockstep, right? Yeah. So that's very common in like a retail sector. The more the experience is better, the more you're going to buy from said company. Then you have uh, what you would call diminishing uh relationship where there is a certain point where no matter how much CX improves, they're not going to buy more. So take, for example, wireless. No matter how much a provider makes your wireless experience better, it's not like you're going to get another mobile phone or, you know, a smartphone or more service. It's like, you know, granted, you could sit there and say, well, maybe they get other services that the telco company has, but if you just kept it within wireless, it's diminishing. Then you have other sectors like ours, which is what you would call an exponential relationship. So there's a, once you get to a certain point, CX tends to accelerate the amount of leaning in. So the share of wallet, as you mentioned, in terms of additional products, additional services into the mix, because they're sitting there and saying, well, I'm in this relationship with you. This is going really well. And you'll typically see this in B2B more than, it, than anywhere else. I want to subscribe to more and be a part of more of this type of stuff. So for us, we heavily lean in on, well, how do we make the experience better? Because we see an acceleration in terms of additional products procured, services, things along, uh, along those lines. So that's a big thing that CX professionals need to know is just in general, what is that relationship? Is it that linear lockstep, that diminishing, because especially in a diminishing scenario, you don't want to double down more and more on CX because now you're spending too much effort, too much cost mm. to do it. So then you sit there and go, okay, so what is then the ability to optimize the existing experience? Because if we've got the bulk of customers at that tipping point, business is good because you're in a retention game. Mm. Some of them are in the exponential, like our sector is, it's not only the retention game, but it's the enrichment game. And then how do you um, keep growing that share of wallet? Love this conversation, by the way. This is, <laughs> this is the kind of thing that really should be talked about more. Yeah. Uh, it isn't talked about enough. And, and I think, um, you know, sometimes we, we have the scars uh, to have gone through the wars. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, which is a great segue to um, two questions I want to have, which the, fir the first one, and I ask people who are practitioners and you're a practitioner, um, is what, what was a mountaintop for you? What was something, you know, four and a half years that you can yeah. already look back at and say, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm glad that I, that's cool. So, um, so I've been very fortunate. I've had a couple of mountaintop moments, um, both at Forrester and here at UKG for UKG, really proud of this team that has been cultivated and that in all intents and purposes, we are an in-house CX consultancy. That was the vision yeah. and that it's been realized to that level um, where 
we're brought in and it's, and we're, and we're still in and we're still at all of the conversations and at the table and it's all the way up to the C-suite um, into that mix. So this vision of you can build a team that is thought about in that consultant like manner does work um, into that, that mix. So it was really nice to, and I saw it here and there when I was doing consulting work at Forrester, but it was nice to sort of sit there and go, Oh, I could, I, I could actually build this and build this with my team and it resonates, um, into that mix. So that's, that's the the mountaintop. That's huge. I mean, you yeah. should take credit for that because I mean, the people are great. It's gracious of you to give credit to the, to the team. Any good leader would, but you, you built that team. You picked those people. Oh, they're fabulous. They're, they're absolutely, I am immensely blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. wake up every day. I'm going, how cool is it that I've got this, the CX, we, we're a CX strategy team. So it's the CX strategy family. Um, and it's, it, and it is a family. I mean, we, you know, are really invested in each other and our work and personal lives. And that's what matters. Awesome. Well, and now let me ask the flip side of that, um, which is we've all been there, you know, if you don't mind getting vulnerable for a minute is what, what would might be a pothole moment for you that where you stepped in it and you, Oh gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. Um, so for me, and if you, if you, uh, I have, and I know this, I have a, a dominant personality type. Um, and I get in and, uh, lean in more towards an education style approach. Um, and sometimes that is, you need to go in a little bit slower. Um, and so this gets into knowing which stakeholders are willing to go really fast and are open to being sort of like taught, right? Because a lot of them sit there, there's sometimes a belief of, because you deal with customers, you know, CX, Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of, okay, so how do we educate them of, yes, you understand that customer experience matters and the customer matters, but let's talk about the discipline mm-hmm. uh, into that mix. And I think that that's an, a unique hurdle as CX professionals we have because, because a customer, uh, an employee deals with customers are like, oh, I'm in the CX game. Yeah. And it's like, no, you're in the, the ability to enable a quality experience and you have experience on how to do the enablement elements, but let's talk about the practice and the execution and the, you know, the approach to it and what are best practices in the framework. So a couple of times I went a little bit hot and heavy. Um, and, but at the end of the day, this gets it to the dispositional and situational attribution. Mm. You have the conversation and you sit in, you lean in and you, it, you let them know, like, this is, you know, you apologize for the misstep and going strong, but you sit there and say, well, this is where it's coming from. So it becomes, it's very easy as human beings. Once we sip, separate and say like, oh, it's not a dispositional thing. It's a situational thing. And this is where you move forward quite quickly. Okay. Um, and those were quick moments or they're learning opportunities. And that's sort of how it ran. And it, and it, I mean, we went from zero to 60 pretty quick, but we did it in a really meaningful um, and partnering way. Um, and you, you do what's in the best interest of everybody. So that's, yeah, those are, those are, that was a sort of the step in moment, but it worked at the end, you turn it around. 
Those are great. I love, I love that you describe it as your CX strategy family. Yeah. Yeah, they are near and dear. I've actually, um, very lucky several of the people in this current CX strategy family at UKG were part of my team at Forrester. Oh, so I, I tend to be extremely loyal. (laughs) Um, loyalty is big for me. Um, and I've just been very fortunate to, to keep, uh, people that are fabulous talents and just keep them in, in the, uh, in the close world that we've created. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it says a lot that they would follow you uh, over there and trust their careers with you. Um, A couple of gems. I mean, so many gems in what you just shared, not only, you know, thinking about it and calling it a family, but um, let's see, you talked about um, treating the different stakeholders differently. Some are ready to go fast. Some are not. And really, you know, more of the psychology going back to what I, I heard yeah. you say throughout the interview is that really you have to understand other people and where they're coming from and recognize. And I heard someone say, I don't know what you think about this is um, don't spend all your time and energy trying to convince everyone in the C-suite because in other words, spend your time on the people who are ready to go, who yeah. are who are not giving you the most friction. What do you think about that? I, I agree. So it it what ends up happening is then it becomes a fast follow. So then um, if you've engendered a relationship with one C-suite, they also then become your advocate to the other C-suite. Hmm. And then and on top of it, they go, look how cool this was. And they go, oh. So then you get a lot of, you know, FOMO going and, hmm. you know, and they're like, well, I want that. And it's like, great. So that's where you, part of the listening tour, you sit and figure out, okay, so Who's wave one? Who's wave two? Who's wave three? And you keep, and, and I will sit there and say, listening tours, those still happen four years running. So this is not a once you do listening tour, then like it is every year doing at least an annual or biannual listening tour to continue to understand and learn because as you're growing as a human, they're growing and you need to sort of see, okay, do I have to talk about things a little bit differently? Is there something that matters to them a little bit more than used to because they've learned? So it's 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 a constant, um, like I said, it's a diagnosis. Like that's that's why I think, yeah, you're a big forefront of those different attributes is a psychologist through and through. Um, I think that's how you you uh, embed nicely. Well, what a, what a, what a great conversation. Um, I, I want to just uh, land the plane here, but also want to, I don't want to, not mention the fact that you're featured in a new book. And yeah. then, I, and then I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the book and, um, and why someone might be interested in getting it. And two is if people want to reach you just to check in and say, hello, whatever, um, yeah. what would be the best way, but tell, tell us about the book. That's very exciting. So Jim Titcher of, um, heart of the customer, um, that is his company that he founded. He is chief, uh, journey mapper. Um, <laughs> which I, I love, uh, yeah. into that mix. So he really focused, you know, uh, CX historically is always, uh, well, it's ethos or its beginning stages was B2C, right? And it's application. But CX actually matters a lot in B2B um, mm-hmm. into that mix. And so he wanted to really double down on, okay, so what is the context of how do you do B2B better? And that's the title of the book. Um, he interviewed several hundred CX professionals. I am honored. Um, 
one of uh, four in-depth case studies of change makers is how he uh, defined us that really sort of walks through what we've done in our organizations, what does what does success look like, um, and, and those elements. So it just uh, published or just dropped uh, on CX Day uh, last week. There's a great conference next week on October, uh, what day is it, the 18th, um, into that um, mix. And it's really going to focus on these examples of how to approach CX in a B2B world, um, which I think is, is, is an important topic. And then to reach me, LinkedIn, just search, um, for me, um, send me a note more than happy to connect. I love meeting, um, new people, having, uh, recurring conversations, one-off conversations, whatever, whatever that is. I, I thoroughly enjoy connecting with new people every day. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Rox. You were awesome. Appreciate it. Looking, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, looking forward to listening to other um, podcasts um, that you have with other leaders because I constantly learn more and more hearing um, my fellow peers into the mix. So thank you for having me. Thanks, Roxy. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.